You are tuned in to the Oil Field 360 podcast, sponsored by World Oil and powered by Galtway Marketing. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Oil Field 360 podcast, the newest oil and gas podcast. Today, it's a very special day. We've got some friends of ours here. Co-host Dave DeRode with Lockton is going to be talking with uh, Scott Miller. Scott, thank you for coming. Happy to be here. Scott is the CEO of Bullseye and Bullseye Testing, and he's on the board of a couple of other companies we're going to get into today. But once again, I just appreciate your time. This is friends talking to friends, so we appreciate this. And yeah, so welcome. Glad to be here. Look forward to uh, kicking this off. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have not. First opportunity for me. Wonderful. Well, good. Podcasts are the are the future, really, of of how a lot of communication and ideas get spread. So it's going to be fun. I think you're going to see more and more of these becoming the norm in oil field. Wanted to talk. Wanted to introduce Dave DeRode as a co-host here with Lockton. David, welcome. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for for being Scott, here, Scott. How do you like a big microphone in your face? It's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, isn't it's it? a little different way to start your Monday. But like I said, I think podcasts are something that a lot of people listen to a lot more than maybe you realize. And I'm happy to see that y'all are introducing a oil field centric podcast into the industry. I think it'll be a, a great feature. Well, thank you. We're excited about it. We're excited to have you here. So to kick things off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about your background going to the uh, Naval Academy and, and all that good stuff. Naval? And- no, no, no. Army. <laughs> West Point. Oh, I knew I started off. Just, just making sure. Yeah, that, make sure. Mark that off. No, 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 no. I'm just making sure you're awake this morning. I'm on it. Uh, that's a tough way to kick this thing off. <laughs> So all that being You're said. You're with Marsh, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So tell us a little bit about your background at uh, West Point and how you got started in the oil field and where we are today. Went to the United States Military Academy at West Point from Illinois. I was recruited to play basketball there and played four years and graduated and then spent six years in the Army. That culminated with getting out after the first Gulf War. And then uh, from there, I uh, went through a headhunter and, and landed in the oil field as a basically a drilling engineer for Helmer and Payne that's based in Tulsa. They had a great training program, went to the field in Roughneck for a year, and then worked my way through different operational positions. Spent about 15 years there, and uh, while I was there, was able to get an MBA from Pepperdine, do a lot of operational jobs in and around drilling contracting. And in uh, 05, I had an opportunity to start a drilling company. I got a really big entrepreneurial itch at, at grad school during the uh, kind of the internet boom. There was all, a lot of energy around startups, just trying to figure out where I could do something like that. And it ended up being in the oil field. So first real startup was uh, a company that was part of Southwestern Energy called DeSoto Drilling. That was uh, put together 15 rigs to uh, develop the Fayetteville Shale in uh, Arkansas. During that process, I met J.B. Hunt, and J.B. Hunt wanted to back a, uh, a drilling company and made a decision that was very tough for me to leave Southwestern and started a couple drilling companies in West Texas. Then in 13, came back and ran an oil and gas business here in Houston that was publicly traded in Australia called Maverick Drilling and Exploration. Um, what was interesting about them is they owned all their own services. So we were 
not only an E&P, but we did everything soup to nuts. And that was what was really interesting to me there. While I was there, we ran well service rigs. Through the course of, of that opportunity, had a chance to start a well service business called Ranger in 14. We kicked off and grew to 17 rigs despite the downturn between 14 and 16. The company ended up going public and after that started a pumping business called Commander Oilfield Services and I'm currently with Bullseye Testing in West Texas. How many companies have you started? Oh, have you ever man. counted? I, I just ran through them. Uh, what is that? <laughs> six? Five or six? Really starting is kind of tough because some of them I inherited, some some I started and I think that's one of the unique challenges we can get into is really like where you enter into various small private companies really influences kind of the challenges you have mm-hmm. as growing the business and moving it in the right path. Well, that actually takes us. I, I did talk to one of your colleagues that you've worked with in the past, a guy named uh, Michael Hopkins, who you worked with at Ranger. Correct. And one of his comments about you was that you were a serial entrepreneur and just listen to this explanation it it sounds like you are a a startup guy you're you're made for startup well i started in actually in the corporate world to be honest with you i think what i I missed was kind of that ability to see the scoreboard really know what your impact is every day in the corporate world you kind of get you don't really see each day you know the impact of of the bottom line and i think when you're uh, sitting in a room with two or three other people and you're starting a business you know exactly what your impact is and, and what you need to do to make a difference. So I think I just got that competitive spirit and started to uh, see opportunities and, and pursue those. And, you know, we've always had success. We've never really lost a company despite the ups and downs of the business, but I'm obviously still working. So that, that tells you we right. really had the, the home run either, but it's been a great deal of fun along the way. And I think that's what's important. Well, he, he, he behind serial entrepreneur, he said, you're also a serial leader. So leadership for you is something that whether you had the home run or not, it doesn't sound like you would stop doing what you're doing. Well, I think that's what's uh, been so fun is just having the opportunity to work with, uh, with so many people in the business. I think one of the unique aspects of oilfield services is you have a lot of passionate people and you don't always see that today in, in any industry, really. I think there's a lot of young guys like like Michael and a few others that I work with that are in their 30s. They're high energy. They want to do great things. And as you get older, those are the kind of people you want to work around and influence and help them prepare for their opportunity to run and lead businesses. Right. Actually, one of the questions that David had when we were preparing for this was the, a challenge that you run into as a leader of companies that are heavily reliant upon people. Because you're not talking about a couple, you know, 10 or 20 people. You're talking about hundreds of people that you're, that you're leading at one time. What are some of the challenges of watching a scoreboard, as you say, with running hundreds of people at the same time? Yeah. So we always say in the business, you know, good people with good equipment is the, the recipe to success. And it's very easily said and, and very difficult to execute on. And you find that you, you can really see the, the performers and, and what's, what's distracting in a really heavy personnel dominated industry is that, you know, a couple bad eggs can really distract you from your focus on being great. So you really want to minimize the, the negatives and focus on the strong people and make sure that you don't let those people distract you from your your objectives of accomplishing certain things. And I, I think that 
that that's probably the single largest challenge when you get more than two or three people in a room there's always drama you mm-hmm. know so it's minimizing the drama and executing on the business you know it's interesting you have not talked to michael about this interview and as i'm going through the notes i made when i talked to them it's it's really interesting to hear you your leadership has clearly been spread to him because he was talking about right equipment right people do what we say and and that's almost the exact answer that you just gave that's the foundation of the business and that's where we clicked actually is we really pride ourselves in the fact that we still execute business on a handshake even though you can't get away with that today i think that it's very important that when we sit across the table from somebody and and we say we're going to to execute on a certain thing that we do everything we can to to do that mm-hmm. we don't want anybody to turn around and say oh you can't trust those guys cuz trust is a very important part i think of success in well field services cuz it's a small industry, you know, yes. I can't tell you as I've, I've gotten older, how many times you circle around, you're in a room, like you may not even remember meeting this guy before. And there's someone in there and they pop off and say, yeah, we, we met before. <laughs> and, and, and then uh, you have to backpedal a little bit, but it's a very small industry and it, it comes around numerous times. David, okay. David's got a couple questions here in a second, but right before we let you turn this over to him, I want to finish up with some of the comments that he he had talked about. I asked Michael, how does Scott define success? And before I read his answers, I'd like to to get your, because you talk about a daily scoreboard, but then you also talk about the success of your people. How do you define success when you have shareholders and at the same time you have a, a daily scoreboard? Well, I think you always have to be true to your people. That's That's really the, I think the key. We spend a lot of time talking about and it's been hard for me because in a small company, you tend to micromanage the business. And as you grow, you need to step further and further away. So it's very important you create a culture where you can communicate. And we always talk about what we want to achieve. And, you know, it's it's not formal so much as it is the conversation in the business. You know, who are you? What's your culture? What do you stand for? And then people make good decisions based on that. Okay. So I don't know. Is that what he said? Well, he, he basically <laughs> said by the success of his team. He, and then he said he brings up his people, focuses on his people. And then he said the hard, he said the thing he couldn't understand that you do is how much time you give to people when it feels like you're constantly doing other things, but yet you still have time to delve into people and to bring them up. And I mean, I'm, I, is that something you focus on or is it just a natural leadership trait for you? Well, I, th- I think it's important that you always – Remember that someone's there trying to make a living, you know, bring something better to their company. So while there's days it's very hard to have a meeting about something that may not really impact your business, I think it's important you take 15 or 20 minutes to to hear the pitch. But, you know, I always try in a meeting, if someone comes in with a, a PowerPoint deck, I tell them to pick the top three slides. And, and that's what you're <laughs> going to talk about because we're not going to go through the whole deck and a lot of times, you know, you you really cut to the chase and have a great conversation because you get rid of all the riffraff. Mm. David may have been on the receiving end of that once or once or twice. I don't know. No, I think it's I think communication is is absolutely critical. It's one of the things that we see most often the biggest breakdown in, in most businesses in executing what they're trying to do and communicating their objectives and and uh, holding people accountable and. Getting everybody to move in the same direction is 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 critical in your business because it's so people intensive. Well, I, I think people really appreciate direct feedback, and 
And that, that's one of the things I've learned. It's hard to tell somebody when they're not doing a good job. You know, it's hard to confront somebody. But the minute you do in a professional way, it's usually a, I had no idea. I will fix that. I'll, I'll make a change. And I think that that interaction is just absolutely critical, whether it's with, you know, a salesman, a vendor or a customer. You just shoot them straight and and then execute on what you say you're going to do. So talk to us about what you're seeing right now in the, in the marketplace. You've, your businesses have largely been Permian Basin focused, obviously being on the board of, of Commander, which was a business you helped start in the specialized pumping business. And then now CEO is Bullseye Testing. Talk to us about just the intensity that's occurring out there in terms of of work and people challenges and, and some of the challenges that you, you your businesses face. Yeah, there's a there's a long list there. So we can start kind of at the strategic level. I think you see two very different opinions. You have kind of the investor community, the the strategic level guys that are looking at certain things, looking at the money that are going into the businesses. You know, I think for the first time companies are being pushed in the public markets to deliver on on cash flow performance. And uh, that's caused some of these businesses to maybe act like they're not as busy. I think that uh, strategically people are thinking that it might be lukewarm out there. But when you get on the ground, I think the reality is in a smaller business in certain niches, you're you're as busy as you want to be. There's plenty of work. Uh, There is some pricing pressure right now, but, you know, there's always pricing pressure. So if you deliver a good service and you you know what your value is, I think you can get it. And um, that's that's where the relationships are really key. Uh, the people challenge is just never ending. And I think um, what a lot of companies have basically uh, resigned themselves to do is the local market is is completely tapped. It's, it's completely saturated. So a lot of businesses have taken the time to commute good people in from other areas. There's a lot of talent, obviously, across the country. And I think uh, the businesses have just decided to, to bite the bullet on lodging and, and you know, commuting and, and get quality people in to do jobs that I don't, I don't think normally would reside in West Texas and what that's done. And you can see it everywhere you go. And in the Permian, it's just really strained the local infrastructure, what, whatever that you look at there is really under stress. Yeah. Understood. What do you think of like XTO and some of the other super majors that are talking about bringing the rigs on that they're talking about and how do you think that's going to impact the the overall market well we love it because obviously uh you know more activity creates more opportunity but you know there is definitely a tone of increased work and um, it's really at odds with what you see in private companies because there's there's really no deal transactions right now so what you're seeing i think are a lot of opportunities for businesses to get scale through equity mergers through this year and also lock in some work but they'll probably have to forfeit price for term and and that's going to be the exchange so talking to some several other operators that are largely in the area they're concerned about rising service costs as a result of this increased intensity from the majors that are moving in or moving back in i guess with their their budgets for the the year do you do you expect to see service costs rise do you see do you see some rate gain well i think coming off a recent 
recession based well that's probably a strong word but basically a lot of companies in the early part of the year uh, went out for rfps to lock in work i think the the idea was to get them locked in at lower prices and as more and more companies are sending out those rfps it's naturally raising the price of service that you're going to get but i think you had a little you know drop towards the end of last year when things kind of slowed down at the end of the year we saw people have to give on some price. So I really think it's more of a recovery of some of that, that, that they gave up towards the end of 2018 to, to regain here as activity picks up in 2019. And I think generally people are looking at the second half of 19 as the opportunity to get back to a, a really good peak, busy industry. That's, I, I find that interesting because, you know, we obviously we're operating here out of Houston, but we do a lot of business in the Permian as well. And, it feels like there we go to these conferences or lunches and it's fairly doom and gloom but then you go to the street to the to the main street and people are they're active and we saw a lot of the RFPs in the first quarter too and some people looks like they're they're going all in on some some big numbers because they think that the second half of the year is going to be much stronger i just wonder how do you balance the difference between wall street and main street because you do play in both of those fields Yeah. So um, as a small company, though, I think you can be really tactical in the way you execute your business. And I think you're insulated somewhat from what you see with the larger companies. So I really believe that, you know, smaller private businesses will have a different story than what you'd see from the the super major service companies like the, you know, Schlumberger's and Halliburton's um, will have a different story because the smaller guys just don't have the fleet to deploy. And, you can really leverage single and individual relationships to really build a company around one good, strong relationship. We did that at Ranger. We did that at Commander. And Bullseye is a little different equation. You know, it's all built on those relationships. And that, I think, is one of the single things that is one of the toughest aspects of this business, but also is really the difference between success and failure. So talk to us about Bullseye. That's uh, that's your latest company. You've stepped in as CEO. It's a private equity sponsored business. Tell us about what, what you guys are doing and, and what you see uh, the market looking like for you guys with the increase in you know year over year well count and how that might impact y'all's business. Yeah. Bullseye testing is a combination of two of the leading providers of scanning and hydro testing services in West Texas. They were merged last May. They uh, are a very interesting uh, setup. They have, you have two great, really small companies that came together to create a nice mid-sized business. The business focuses on production type work. So it's, it's not really exposed to the, the peaks and valleys that you see with completion. It definitely benefits from the increased number of wells that are being drilled. So as uh, basically the services are to test tubulars as they run in and out of the well, doing maintenance work on, on wells. The businesses are, what's interesting is they're going through, you know, the, the evolution and learning curve of becoming one from being two really great small businesses. The challenge for them is, is really, it's a small ticket item uh, business. So it's, it's high volume work. And um, you got to chase a lot of different customers. We do somewhere between 40 and and 50 jobs a day. 
just to keep the the company going. And that goes on uh, day in, day out. Any day that there's a, a weather change or or something that, that's gone on in the industry that might influence that work, it, it affects us directly. Do you, in that business, do you do you kind of steady as you go or do you look for alternative services to, to add to your suite of services you already provide? Well, there, there's, a, there's a current effort to optimize the businesses that we have, which would be to really make sure we're, we're getting everything out of the current fleet. But uh, we do see opportunities to grow organically. But there's also an interest to take a look at that new type of testing and scanning technology, which uh, we're using uh, older electromagnetic type scanning tools that have been around for 15 years or so. So I, I think there's definitely an opportunity in technology, but one of the disadvantages you have with oil field services and technology is how do you get your money back? If you have to make an investment as a small business to get the new technology, how do you get that back when the operator may see the service as indifferent? So you got to be very careful about what you put your money behind. There's a lot of talk and a lot of interest in the private investors about technology. It's, right. it's a great buzzword, but in practical execution, you got to get your money back for it. You just crushed my next question. <laughs> I was waiting for this, the whole interview. So I, I'm a big technology guy. I love it. I, I just, I think it's, you mentioned 15 year old technology. It, it really surprises me when you, that's 2004, right? You know, 2004 doesn't seem like that long ago, I know, but it's, that's 15 years ago. A lot has changed. There's been you know, the internet of things, the AI has come around. I mean, there's a lot of technology that's come about. So my question, if you can follow up a little bit further on what you're saying, what technology and where is technology taking the industrial energy, oil and gas space? And if you just want to comment on bullseye, that's fine too. But I mean, is there a technology out there that you see being disruptive for the, for the entire industry? Yeah, I think that's the silver bullet everybody's looking mm -hmm. for is, you know, how do we get an advantage with a game-changing technology that that really is easy to deploy, and and the answer is, if there was that opportunity, somebody would be doing it already. I love technology as well. I, I'm very biased towards it, and uh, you know I've seen little things where RFID chips are being put into you know high-pressure iron to inventory and, right. and maintain certain inspection reports. I, I think those are the kind of things where you see. Uh, opportunities because it's inexpensive and, it, and it's kind of an off-the-shelf solution that's being modified to be deployed in oil field services. For us, I think specifically for Bullseye, we, we have a couple different ideas or concepts that we'd like to see. One would be, you know, getting the scanning and testing at more advanced where we're not interpreting magnetic waves, but it's actually telling us go, no-go kind of, right. of uh, solutions. Today, it's up to an operator to interpret a a wavelength on a monitor, which at one point in time was was breakthrough technology, right. but now it's it's a little dated. When you say that at one point in time, how long ago was one point in time? You know, I, I don't even know when all of that started. I mean, I guess as long as they've, they've been pigging and inspecting pipe, you know, that's what the technology basically that they've used. Well, I'm of the belief that technology is going to start. I think we're past a tipping point. I do believe that you're going to start to see some things. What I what I think is actually going to start happening is you're going to see Silicon Valley guys looking at the oils. In, we call it industrial energy and oil and gas space, right? I mean, it's a lot of different things. The IoT is just going to start zoning in on our industry because we are relatively far behind. Is there, a, uh, just a last technology question, is there a place, a website, a, a seminar, 
a book that you go to to keep up with current trends, maybe potential trends coming your way? Not really a source to look at. I think it's really about networking and talking to people like yourself on, on what you're seeing. I think there's a lot that can be done with software and interpretation of some of the reports that have been typically generated in, in the industry that we don't really know what to do with them. And we don't know how to take a report from disparate services and then integrate that data into one message, mm -hmm. one 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 way that someone can make a great decision on that well. And it probably sits in the operator. I love what you're saying because to me, this this podcast, other podcasts – networking events that we go to, it's really about communication, right? I mean, you're talking about telling your ideas. There's somebody that's going to hear this and be like, wait a minute, I have something for you that would never have access to you. So to me, this is just an, a natural extension of a, of a grabbing lunch with somebody that, that would have an idea. And, and it's really, I had a marketing professor that basically said, there are no products, there are only solutions to problems. So if you start thinking in those terms and you're talking to someone, I really wish I could do this. I really wish I could do that you will end up probably going down a path to find a solution. And, you know, the 10 years ago, 15 years ago, connectivity in our industry was a challenge. I mean, in West Texas, there's still some dead zones, but we generally have a high-speed internet connection now to every well site in the country. And, and that alone makes a huge difference from where we were even 10 years mm -hmm. ago. So I think once you can get data from the well site, there's, there's a lot of things people can do with that information. It's just that we work oftentimes in silos and information's not exchanged between right. the silos. There's a couple podcasts and video casts that, that we watch. And one of them I really like is Joe Buck. He does he does one on- say Joe Rogan. I like, like Joe Rogan we too. With yeah. <laughs> I see we can ruin your career. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, Joe Buck, he does one. And at the end of it, he kind of does some silly questions. We're not going to do that, but- I do. I would like to kind of ask you in our final, you know, five or ten minutes here, however long you want to take. Is there a, a story that is just so meaningful to you that it's something that you pass on to new recruits? Is there a, a pearl of wisdom that you receive somewhat to the close to the, your marketing professor, a coach? I, I'm one of my things that you did not mention, which is one of my favorite things that I've learned about you is. There's a pretty cool picture of you versus David Robinson <laughs> back when you were playing basketball. So I just wonder, you know, I assume you dunked on him, but that's another story for another yeah, time. We'll save that. Yeah. Is there a pearl of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience that, that's been impactful on your life and career? There's not really one saying I can really pass along, but I think that where I sit, I'm in my mid fifties, you start to reflect a little bit and you want to help. Uh, the guys that are in their 30s achieve the kind of things that you wish you could have done. I always wish I would have started earlier as an entrepreneur. I didn't start until I was I was in my 40s. You know, it's it's been so much fun, but I think you have to in, really embrace your people. As soon as you lose touch with your people, I think you lose touch with the business. And it, it all gets back to the the people you want to work with. And I think a lot of times you, you get hesitant to make changes, do the things that you know when you lay down in, in bed at night that you should do, but something's holding you back. I think when you get up in the morning, you have to just execute. If, you're, if your gut's telling you something to do, do it. Always be conscious of your people. No one person that carries a company. It's a outcome of collective efforts by many people. And uh, surround yourself with, with quality individuals. I, I think that's really the key. So this is a very selfish question. 
But when you, you mentioned sleep at night, things you thought about you should have done. I'm an entrepreneur. We've got a couple of businesses for last six and a half years. It's been some nights I sleep better than others. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Some of those nights you wake up and your chest is on fire. You think, well, this is it. Right. Kind of tired right. anyway. This I wouldn't care if I'm, I don't wake up. How do you, I don't want to say sleep at night, but I mean, how do you, because you're, you're handling, how many people are you working with now? We employ about 100 at Bullseye and another 15 to 20 at Commander. Okay. And then you've had a couple thousand in, in previous jobs. Yeah. It, do you sleep different with 100 employees versus 1,000 or is it is it the same thought process before well, you, you sleep better when you got some money in the bank? That That's helps. always good when you know payroll is covered. But once you get past that, I think, you know, when I've been in a stressful situation and you tend to like really amp yourself up about that one thing to the point that if you're you're losing sleep or you can't think straight, the best thing you can do is walk away from it. You know, set it aside and walk away. And then you will know uh, the next day or when you can get some sleep, you'll wake up and you'll know what that decision is, what the right choice is to make. And as hard as that is, when you're in the heat and you're just really balled up about one thing, if you can just divert your thinking to something else, you will come back and it'll be crystal clear mm. what your choice is that you should make. That's great. Good advice. That is. Well, before I let you go, how good was David Robinson? <laughs> well, I, I got to play him as a freshman when he was six, seven, and he, <laughs> and he didn't start. Then his sophomore year when I was a senior, he dunked on us three times to start the game. So he's really improved over the summer. And what I think is great about him is he's a really, he's a quality individual. Right. He is. Yeah. I mean, you look up and see what he's done since he's uh, retired from the NBA. He's a giver and, and, a, and a great quality guy. Well, speaking of quality guys, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. David and I are going to be doing this a lot, but you're an excellent host or guest to start with. We do appreciate your time. We wish you the best of luck. We know some of the circumstances. You've got a great setup going into it. We know you're going to do really well. So Thanks. Glad to, to be you. here and good luck with your podcast. Thank you very it's, much. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. So that was uh, Scott Miller and CEO of Bullseye Testing in uh, West Texas. Look him up on the internet. What's your website? We'll give you a quick plug. We're bullseyeservices.com. Okay. Good deal. So this is the Oilfield 360 podcast. You're going to be seeing these probably two to three a month. If you have any questions, you can look us up at oilfield360.com. I'm Josh Lowry with Oilfield 360, Dave DeRode with Oilfield 360 as well. Scott Miller, thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Scott.